J.C. Corcoran Podcast. Welcome to the third race at the Honeymoon is Over Downs. They're at the gate, and they're off. Jumping out in the lead is Romance and Affection, with Domestic Bliss in close behind. It's Romance and Affection and Domestic Bliss. Here comes Marriage Vows, followed by Immediate Child. Romance and Affection falling off quickly. Mortgaged up the ass, overtaking Domestic Bliss. And here comes Nasty Attitude, followed by More Children and Drinking Heavily. Coming down the backstretch, Drinking Heavily moving out in front of Mortgaged up the ass. But coming on strong on the outside is Credit in Shambles. It's Credit in Shambles, followed by I Don't Give a Shit. Nasty Attitude and Up Yours Keep. Up yours, keep challenging for a second, going into the clubhouse turn. Passing on the rail as I don't give a shit, taking the lead. Followed by the f***ing house. You cook like shit, and I f*** your brother. Here they come, spinning out of the turn. I don't give a shit, still in front. Up yours, keep challenging for the lead. Up yours, keep, and I don't give a shit, neck and neck. And down the stretch they come. Up yours, keep is pulling away from I don't give a shit by a length. Coming on strong is I am out of here, and passing the pack is the f***ing house. And at the wire, it's up yours, keep the f***ing house i don't give a shit and i am out of here no i'm just getting warmed up happy to see you again don't be nervous don't be rocky you're a teenage guest is jockey now and let me begin by wishing you a beautiful look did that voice inside you say i've heard it all before it's like Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, you are at jconthelinecom And again, apologies at the same time, what did you expect? You know, major surgery will really mess you up. And especially if you talk for a living, and oh, by the way, I do, they shove that hose down your throat. It really messes with your vocal cords, which is why I sound the way I do. But yesterday, oh man, I I just reached the wire like, you're never going to get better unless you get off all of this stuff. Now, it's all required. You got to take it, all the painkiller, antibiotics, and all that sort of stuff. You have to take it and make sure that, you know, hospitals are dirty places. They're terrible. You know, there's a lot of sick people in hospitals. You should do something about that. Anyhow, you get into so many situations where the operation goes fine, everything goes perfect, but you pick up MRSA or some other sort of flesh-eating disease or some nonsense like that. That flesh-eating thing is actually a big deal down in the southern states, you know, the Gulf Coast and along the Gulf shores of Florida. Some woman cut herself shaving. She's shaving her legs because she wanted to look nice at the beach, and she just cut herself a little bit, goes into the water, some flesh-eating amoeba gets in there and chews her leg off. They had to saw her leg off. She was a model. So you always hear about that stuff, and you're like, well, what are the chances? Well, the chances aren't good. Got a better chance of being struck by lightning three times on the same day. But does it happen? Yes, it absolutely does happen. Not that somebody gets struck by lightning three times in one day, but... So, you know, flesh-eating stuff actually occurs. I always tell people I don't do any politics on the radio show on K-Wolf at 101.5 and 101.7 and streaming at kwolf.com. Do the morning show there every morning, Rockin' Americana. I don't do any politics, and I only do politics here when it's absolutely unavoidable. That's sort of how I've defined it as being unavoidable. And I think this is one of those days because you have the Republican primary debate 
tonight. This is at 8 o'clock St. Louis time. Trump is skipping the whole thing. DeSantis is going to come out swinging. Chris Christie is going to come out chewing. Christie's actually a good guy to watch tonight because the diehard Republicans hate him and the Trump people despise him. But there's a lot of people who believe that Donald Trump decided not to do the debates because he's afraid of Chris Christie and what Chris Christie could do to him in a debate. And I'm not sure they're wrong. And what you do on these things is you watch them and you wait for somebody to really step in it. You're like, oh man. And that sort of used to be the standard. You know, the analysts come on after the debate and they tell you who fucked up. I don't know, you can fuck up down. It doesn't seem to hurt you. There's no such thing as shame anymore. The uh, standard, you know, the bar has been set so low for politicians now. Somebody does go on the air and say something absolutely reprehensible and it's like, eh. You used to have this thing in this country called shame. We don't have shame anymore. Looks like about three more days of this excessive heat 98 today, 102 tomorrow, 101 on Friday, but it's going to feel like 110 to 115. This is not something to mess with. Well, you get these guys out there laying asphalt, they're really tough. Toughness has nothing to do with whether or not the human body can withstand a temperature that feels like 120 degrees. you got to have Colin Powell, Norman Schwarzkopf. Captain Crunch. I don't care who you put out there. Combine them all. Put them in the sun for a few hours when it feels like 120 degrees outside. Trust me, toughest guy in the world is still going to go down like a bag of sand. You know, the break comes on Saturday, 90 degrees, and then on Sunday, only 83, and the whole first part of next week looks like low, maybe mid-80s. The games don't mean anything, folks. The games mean nothing. So I don't care how many tries... It takes for Adam Wainwright to go out there and get two more wins. He's got another month and a half left. Well, not even that. Five and a half weeks. Five and a half weeks. But you could probably squeeze four or five more starts out of five and a half weeks. Put them out there. It doesn't matter. And again, he looked fabulous last night for what, four innings? Then the bottom fell out. I want to go back to this whole thing because there's a lot of Cardinal fans whining about this. And I have to say that I'm getting a little tired of it looking like it's the St. Louis Cardinals organization against the league and against the umpiring crews. I mean, Ollie Marmel is getting thrown out of a game a week. You're like, JC, didn't you watch it? Did you see those horrible calls? I sure did. Now, I want you to go back because I know what you're thinking. Adam Weinreich should have had that strike. Next pitch, wheels come off. If that doesn't happen, if he gets that call, none of that happens and maybe he gets the win. Okay, now go back and watch that whole half inning. And you will see at least three calls where Adam Weinreich put a pitch that wasn't even in the strike zone and he got the call. Now, the one he didn't get the call on was obviously very pivotal and it led to the whole thing coming apart. But you have to look around and, you know, the storied Cardinal organization with the best fans in baseball, who, by the way, aren't showing up anymore. And I don't blame them. And then again, he had quite a few Cardinal fans in Pittsburgh the last couple of nights hoping to see one of his final two wins. They all went away disappointed. But you have to start to ask yourself, what is this starting to look like to the rest of the league? And normally, I don't really care what other people think of me and the Cardinals shouldn't care about what the rest of the league thinks of them. Unless, of course, it's sort of your thing, and it is the thing of the Cardinals organization, to look like it's uh, better than the rest of the league. Major League Baseball, wonderful thing, but here in St. Louis, we do it even better. Well, it's like they always say, you don't judge a man or a thing, for that matter, by how well he does 
she does or it does while everything just seems to be going along swimmingly. You judge something or some person by how they respond to pressure. That's how you measure greatness. And the Cardinals aren't looking very great lately, and it's starting to really get embarrassing. Like I said, how many times has Ollie Marvel been thrown out of a game here in the last month? If anybody wanted to, and I'm sure this is happening in other American cities, other American baseball cities, they're like, huh, St. Louis Cardinals, big, classy organization, always in the playoffs. Now they're 15 games out of first place. They're not going to make it. And suddenly everybody's wrong but them. And every time they lose, it's the umpire's fault. I'm not saying that's what happened. What I'm saying is, does it look that way to the rest of the league. Could they make that argument and sort of make us look bad? And I think the answer is yes. The only way I think they should stop giving the ball to Adam Wainwright is if he wants it to stop. Like I said, otherwise go out there. We practically lose every night anyhow. Does it matter if Adam Wainwright loses or some other pitcher loses? But he goes out there and maybe it just all works one night. He gets 199 and then he's one away. And it's really a shame. You know, I was talking about this earlier. You know, you're trying to get all this stuff out of your system, all these antibiotics and painkiller and anesthesia and all this sort of stuff because it makes you lightheaded and goofy and can't think straight. Things, believe it or not, that are required to do a quality radio show. But I was reading some stuff and then watching some YouTube videos about quantum physics. Now, again, this is something I know nothing about. I lack the intellectual capacity to be able to understand stuff like this. I tell dick jokes on the radio. There are men and women that are better at this sort of stuff, so I leave them to do their thing. And I'm also fascinated by a lot of it. And one of the things I was reading about was time. And apparently everybody, including Neil deGrasse Tyson, thinks that we can travel ahead in time. We can't go back in time. We can only go ahead. And you'll have to read these things and watch these videos to understand why that is. But he's like, oh no, you can do it. We know it can be done. But they think of this whole thing about what time actually is. And what it is, is a thing created by man. We needed units of measure. You know, this thing is this many meters. This thing contains so many liters of fluid. I have something you want, so you're going to give me some of your money, and then I'm going to give you that thing, but we have to figure out units of measure. And one of the units of measure that man needed to create was time. I mean, you really think about it, it's absolutely right. Time was created by man. There really, when it comes down to it, there's no such thing as time. I bring this up because what's the difference really if a guy wins 198 games instead of 200? Shouldn't matter at all. It's just a unit of measure. And when you reach a century, you know, meaning 100, 200, 300, whatever, those are easier. Those concepts are easier for people to understand and grasp. And when people are making lists of things or putting together names that will go on some sort of Hall of Fame or Hall of Fame equivalent, because I got got news for you. If... Adam Wainwright stops at 198, doesn't make it to 200. There will be people who will vote against him or you know, not vote for him is a better way of saying it. Not vote for him for the Hall of Fame because, well, you know, he didn't reach 200. Well, he had 198 and should it matter that he didn't get 200 and it shouldn't matter at all. Would it help? Sure. But that says more about us than it does say about anything else you won 200 games you are a great pitcher and you you only won 198 bad pitcher 
Come on. Oh, look here. They're showing the highlights from the last Republican gangbang debate. This is the one that was hosted by Megyn Kelly, who was with Fox News at the time. They got Ted Cruz up there. Presidential debate. What message do you think that sends to the voters of Iowa? Now, secondly, let me say I'm a maniac and everyone on this stage is stupid, fat and ugly. And Ben, you're a terrible surgeon. (laughs) Now that we've gotten the Donald Trump portion out of the way. (laughs) Oh, Ted, two drink minimum. This is one of those stories that will drive you crazy because for a couple of bucks, you could solve the problem. But some bean counter sitting high up in an office in New York somewhere says, yeah, but if we don't do it, we can save $1.6 million a year for the company. And that's how you end up with stories like this. This pilot went into cardiac arrest on a flight out of Miami and collapsed in the bathroom. That led to the co-pilot taking the controls. And despite the fact that there were four medical professionals amongst the passengers, the pilot couldn't be saved. Now many are asking if there was a defibrillator on board. Here's Les Trent. Minutes after an airliner takes off from Miami, a chilling announcement is made. Is there a doctor on the plane? The 56-year-old chief pilot has suffered a heart attack in the bathroom during a flight to Chile. This flight-aware radar tracker shows the plane diverting to Panama City, where the co-pilot landed it safely. Relieved passengers applauded the co-pilot, and there was another ovation for the crew as they walked through the airport terminal. There were two doctors and two nurses on board. They tried their best to revive the pilot, but incredibly, one of the nurses claims they did not have the right equipment to resuscitate him. The pilot died. All U.S. airliners must carry defibrillators on board, but you might be surprised to hear that not all foreign airliners are. The nurse posted, we did not have the necessary supplies to perform a good resuscitation. Look at You've got four medical professionals, people who have been trained to resuscitate people. Guy's only 56, has a heart attack, flying the plane. They should be able to revive him. No defibrillator. But one of the reasons I'm playing this for you, I didn't know this, did you? Bob Arnott is a doctor and experienced pilot. When you do CPR, it's only a bridge to a defibrillator. If you can't get to defibrillator, you're probably not going to revive that person. So it is an absolute necessity. The airline Latam is based in Chile. A spokesman would not respond directly when asked if there was a defibrillator, which shocks the heart back to life on board. All the necessary protocols were followed during the flight to safeguard the life of the affected pilot. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately he the- died, right? Nice job, everybody. And when I'm wrong, I admit it. I don't like admitting it. I don't like being wrong. But when I am wrong, I admit it. And for years, I made fun of the survivalist people. Now, when you go overboard and you have to buy a second house, just put all your cans of water and your spam and the other, all the other non-perishables and usually a lot of firearms involved too. When you go completely overboard with that, you know, it starts getting into a crazy area. But should you have enough canned goods and water to be able to sustain life for you and your family for at least a couple of weeks? Hell, we had power failures after the ice storms a couple of years ago where power was out for two to three weeks for some people in the outlying areas. And there's a lot of people believe that the next 9-11 isn't going to be about brick and mortar buildings. It's going to be about the power grid and the internet. 
They're just going to figure out some way to knock us all offline or have us, you know, in a position where we don't have electricity for a month. You know, we pay a lot of money for taxes. And one of the things that we're paying money for is for these municipal agencies to run a tight ship so that if something goes wrong, trained people who have gone through a program and have access to materials and communication stuff and all the stuff you need to be able to overcome some sort of national or local emergency, we pay all that money every year because we are being told this is what it's for. Yeah, it's for bridges and highways and water and all that sort of stuff. But it's also for, and I'll just use a blanket word here, security. So you keep going back to this thing on Maui. And to me, at least, every day, it just looks worse and worse. This is Deborah Norville on Inside Edition talking to uh, Nora O'Donnell, who anchors the CBS Evening News, and she's standing there right in the middle of the rubble. And again, we find out some things that maybe we didn't know before. There were some 80 sirens that should have gone off. They stayed silent. Why? We need to find out about that. Frustration is growing across Maui, and this isn't helping. Displaced families being contacted out of the blue by would-be buyers. I am so frustrated with investors and realtors calling the families who lost their home, offering to buy their land. How dare you do that to our community right now? Maui is not for sale, goes this headline. Residents are struggling. This dad is making a plea on social media for basics. We need baby formula, like, really bad. Baby formula, baby food. And dramatic new video shows families seeking shelter from the fires as ash rains down on them last week. Are people angry? People are very angry. They are angry about the lack of the warning system that didn't go off. Why didn't anybody give evacuation orders? They feel like they were nobody knew. Why didn't anybody tell us who's in charge here? Why didn't anybody warn us and our family? Unbelievable. And if you'd like a list of the organizations accepting donations to help the people of Maui, just come to InsideEdition.com. As most of you know, we have a place in Florida, and then we have a house in St. Louis, and then we have access to another house in St. Louis, actually Maryland Heights. And this happens in a lot of families where somebody gets a little nickname, maybe when they were a baby. When my wife was very, very little, she used to make a sound, and all the relatives used to get a kick out of it, and so they used that as her nickname. Now, I'm not going to tell you what it is, because she still uses it for various things, you know, passwords and things like that. But if, you know, you got an aunt or an uncle, you know, changing your diaper, and you're like 18 months old, and you're making noises, and somebody starts calling you schnooky lumps, now all of a sudden you're 45 years old, and you're still being called schnooky lumps. That was probably 30 before I even knew that people in various families had different names that they use when addressing their grandparents. I thought it was grandma and grandpa. Maybe grandmother and grandfather, but grandma and grandpa. Then you find out there's all these other names like Nana. Alec Baldwin, there was a sketch on Saturday Night Live once where they, they did all of those names that you give family members, particularly grandparents. Now, in our particular case, when my daughter was very, very young, she could not say the word grandma. It would come out Gara. And so it is that Francesca will turn 14 years old next month. But she and everybody in our family refers to my wife's mother as Gara because it started when Francesca was a baby and and it just never wore off. So people are like, I'm going to go to my Gara's house. Gara? Who the hell is Gara? 
then you have to explain the story. But anyhow, my um, my mother-in-law has uh, been in the newspaper out there in Maryland Heights a couple of times because she has, uh, I don't know, beautified her backyard. She has a sprawling backyard and has all of this greenery and shrubbery and flowers and fountains and fish and waterfalls and a chicken coop. She keeps about six to eight chickens all the time. I always say it's the Ritz-Carlton of chicken coops. It's nicer than the first apartment I had coming out of college. This chicken coop has a gift shop. And somebody told the newspaper, and the newspaper came out, and they're like taking pictures out there. Like, this is really cool. And then the house itself is where we stay, usually when we're in St. Louis. Because somebody's in the other house that we own right now. That's another story. So we usually just stay. It's easy, you know, a 13-year-old girl. She wants to be around her grandmother, get a decent meal out of the whole thing. You ha- have to pay for almost nothing. It's a good location. You could be on 270 at Dorset in like four minutes. But for the most part, that's where we stay. We stay at Gara's place when we are in St. Louis. We were just in St. Louis for a month in July. So I, I am an idea man. What can I say? I've come along and now we refer to that sprawling estate where we stay. When we're in St. Louis says, ready? Garalago. Thank you very much. Please be seated. Thank you. You're very kind. But uh, one more thing on, on Trump. You see these memes all the time where they try to make Biden out to be a really, really doddering, clueless, stumble bum of an old man. He's only a couple of years older than Trump. You ever see Trump ride a bicycle or do anything athletic? Biden's out there riding the bike. He falls off of it, but at least he's out there riding it. And you get this idea that some of those personal appearances, when he's out in public, he's you know he just seems lost a little bit. But from what everybody says, he goes back to the Oval Office and it's like, bang, 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 get this done, get that done. What are you doing? What's that? What's that? Take that gum out of your mouth. You know, they say he's really sharp. So last <laughs> last night, Seth Meyers, they're running a rerun, obviously, because of the writer's strike, and they show this. 10,000 known or suspected gang members controlled by large donors. Every single car out there, even the really expensive ones. God bless the United States. They sacrifice every day for the furniture and future of their children. <laughs> Unelected regulators and regulators, the carters of power, or are they our carters? They're not their carters. These are our carters. As- the hell is he talking about? But this is my favorite one here. God bless the United States. They sacrifice every day for the furniture and future. <laughs> <laughs> for the furniture ah so you know as usual it just depends on whose ox is getting gored all right back on this date 1984 crosby stills and nash played the muni i enjoyed those shows out there robert palmer played the keel on this date back in 88 the lion king opened at the fox theater back in 03 and in 1985 you gotta understand where i am i'm like 32 years old and i'd been covering entertainment for a long time but i was getting like you know barry manilow on the phone now all of a sudden i've got you know a-list celebrities some of the biggest celebrities in the world certainly in the united states and i'm out there emceeing for these shows and it was on this date 1985 they opened up the gates and into the westport playhouse came the sam kennison fans blue you ever been married you do me a favor 
if you ever think you want to get married, if you ever think you've met the right woman, you want to settle down, you want to get a house, you want to get a car, maybe raise a family, do me a favor, will you, Lou? Remember this face. Then it's the face of hell, Lou. Yeah, backstage at the old Westport Playhouse, it was a circus. Sam would come in with his entourage. He'd be holding court. He knew that everybody was watching him. He knew that everybody was listening to him. He took a couple of shots at Lorne Michaels. I remember him talking about, oh, you know, there's a commandment, thou shalt not be cooler than Lorne. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't he be interested in hearing that? Yeah, but all of that back on this date, 1985. And we missed a couple of things while I was out on the 21st, two days ago in 89. It was the anniversary of Breakfast Club across the Midwest. Wonderful idea. In one of our meetings, we would have these Tuesday morning promotional meetings. We'd be like 10 people in the office and everybody would be laughing and joking and throwing stuff at each other. But we would come up with really, really good ideas before they started calling them brainstorming sessions. We just called them our Tuesday morning promotional meetings. I think one of the girls had the idea too. They're like, okay, here's what we do. We rent an RV and then we pick out a different small town somewhere across the Missouri, Illinois area. And every morning we pop up and do the show in a different small town, Piedmont, Hannibal, Sykeston. Oh, Metropolis. That's right. Metropolis. We're like, this is great. We were so excited, man. We get into that RV a Sunday afternoon, and I don't think it was two hours before all six of us were ready to just kill one another. You got to understand, there's a lot of love on that show. With the exception of one person, we all loved one another. We enjoyed working together, but we, you know, we're we're all still friends. Judy Martin, our producer back in the day, just talked to her the other day. So like I said, with one exception, it was a really, really close-knit group of people, and we still wanted to kill one another. Got a chance to interview Jack Lemon and Al Pacino in 1992 for Glen Gary Glenn Ross. And if you ever hear me speak lovingly of a traffic reporter by the name of Tim Gilbert, who if you listen to a couple of the other radio stations in town, you'll recognize that name and you're like, oh yeah, Tim Gilbert does the traffic. I know that guy. Tim used to be part of our show. And it was back on this date in 1991 that Ringo's all-star band came to the Fox Theater and the Fox gave us some really decent seats in like the maybe third or fourth row center. And we're just enjoying the show. And some guy sitting right behind him starts harassing me. The guy had long stringy hair. He was wearing bib overalls. Always a good look that never goes out of style when you're going to the Fox Theater, bib overalls. And he's harassing me and all stuff. Finally, I was just like, I'm, I'm going to get away from this guy. And so I got up and I went to the men's room. Now, you know, at the Fox Theater, you got all the way to the back and then you go all the way to the side and then downstairs into the basement. And then you go enormous men's room down there. This motherfucker follows me. And I was pretty freaked out. You know, I didn't know if he had a weapon or anything like that. So I figured, eh, just get back to the seats. So I did. And Tim Gilbert, traffic reporter extraordinaire, who is sitting next to me, I tell him what just happened. And Tim begins to take off all of his jewelry, rings, chains, bracelets, because Tim is a wonderful guy and a peaceful man, wouldn't hurt a fly, unless you hurt him or maybe somebody he was friends with, in which case Tim would, in all, you gotta remember, this is a big cheese 
fed, curd-eaten Wisconsin guy, hockey player, you know, the works. He's not going to be the kind of guy who's going to go looking for a fight. But in a situation like this, oh, I think he was sort of half looking forward to it. But, but the, the guy, the guy, I think, saw Tim taking off all this jewelry and figured, eh, maybe I've overshot this a little bit. And consequently, not that we weren't already great friends, but if there was any question about the enduring love and friendship of another man, that's me. That's Tim Gilbert. We say hi to him and also to Miss Vicky. Because of Amazon and all the delivery services that we can now not live without, there's a big problem with porch pirating, but a man in Georgia was arrested for stealing the entire porch. The house had been removed from the lot, but the property owner says the porch was not up for grabs. Five women in Florida arrested after they intentionally clogged the toilet at a chicken wings restaurant. And there's a high school in Virginia where they had a problem because some woman was uh, apparently selling drugs to the students. And she had the big stuff, too. She had meth. She had Xanax. She had cocaine all in the car. So after school, the kids would go out there and meet her in the car, and they would lay down their money, and she would hand it out. And cops got a tip, decided to check it out, set her up. Sure enough, they caught her. It turned out to be the school nurse. The nurse was selling drugs to the students. That is a tough school. It's almost like Rodney Dangerfield said, I tell you, I went to a tough school. Tough school. A teacher said, what comes after a sentence? Kid raised his hand and said, you make an appeal. And with that, the J.C. Corcoran podcast, the first one in a week for Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023, is in the can. Watch out for this heat here the next couple of days, the next three especially. This is not anything to mess around with. In the meantime, I... We'll try to, I don't know, gargle Drano or something, try to get my voice back, which is almost completely gone, as you can hear at this particular point. We'll try to eke out a morning radio show tomorrow at 101.5 in St. Louis and 101.7 West and Beyond and streaming at kwolf.com tomorrow morning, 5.30 until 10 with the old rock and Americana. Spread the word about the podcast and about the radio show if you can. You can follow me on Facebook, The Showgram with J.C. Corcoran. Email me, jc at jconthelinecom have a great day. Stay cool. Talk to you in the morning. In the meantime, we've beaten this one to death. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. God bless the United States. The J.C. Corcoran Podcast.